You guys are crazy. All right. I love you too. This isn't, uh, all right, this is crazy. Um, this isn't in my notes or anything, but I just am so lucky and blessed to be here with you guys. Um, I went to a Bible college in Chicago, so we didn't have a salt company there. Uh, but my wife went to salt company in Iowa City. She was a student at Iowa, and I just kind of got this like front row seat to see how God used Salt Company in her life to impact her. And so now to kind of come full circle and be here with you guys, it's, it's kind of crazy. And so I'm pumped to be here with you guys today. I am pumped to open a really beautiful passage of scripture together and look at it. And if you were here last week, you'll know we started this new series simply called this, Why? So simply put, we're just taking a step back, all right? And we're asking a question that we might not always think to ask. And that question is, why do we do what we do as Christians? Put pretty simply, why are there certain habits Christians have done and practiced throughout history? And then what does that mean for us here today in Cedar Rapids in 2024? So if you're here and you're actually still trying to figure out, like, what is this whole Christianity thing about? You're actually at the perfect place at the perfect time. But even if you've been a Christian for years, if you've followed God for a long time, guys— This is good for you too, because all of us, no matter how far we've walked with God, all of us can forget or drift, and we need to be reminded often of the why. Like, why do we do what we do as believers? And tonight, we're looking at this question. If you see that little music note in the second dot or ellipses or whatever it's called, music note, the question we're asking is, why do we sing? Why do we sing? And I love that this is the question tonight, because if you guys will let me drop just a little bit of Bible trivia on you guys for a second, the command to sing, it's actually one of the most repeated commands in the Bible. I think that might surprise some of us a little bit. Like, we haven't stopped and thought about that, but like, if someone was going to walk up to you and just like point blank, ask you on the street with a mic in their hand and be like, what do you think is one of the most repeated commands in the Bible? Would singing be what like came first? I don't know about you, I'd be like, maybe love your neighbor as yourself, maybe uh, read God's word, maybe pray. Like, those are all amazing things. They are super important. They're all commanded in scripture. We should practice them. But here's, here's the crazy thing. The command to sing in scripture, it's repeated over 50 times in the Bible. And that's not even counting the times it's mentioned or referred to, which is over 400 times in the Bible. And that's not even counting other similar calls to worship or to praise or other synonyms for sing. So, like, on the one hand, Saul Company, we can all agree, right, that if a command is repeated that many times in God's word, it must be super important for our walk with God, right? Yeah. And that matters to God, so it should matter to us. But then on the other hand, if we reflect about it for just a second, like, I think most of us would admit I don't know if we always act like this is one of the most repeated commands in Scripture, do we? I think if we're honest, a lot of us can slip into half-hearted obedience when we think about this command to sing. You know, you you come, you kind of sing quietly, you mumble your way through the words, but your heart's not really in it. Or you're singing, but at the same time, you're not really thinking about worshiping God because, like, there's so many things going on in your mind. It's wandering. You're thinking about a lot of other things that seem a lot more pressing and important than singing together. Or if, like, we're just going to keep it real, maybe a group of people gathering to sing together, that feels a little too Disney for us, right? 
You're like, it's a little strange, actually. Like, we're, it's, it's a little odd to think about. We gather, we all sing the same songs together, and, and maybe it just doesn't feel like it's your thing. And here's the reason, guys, I think we can slip into this half-hearted obedience. Whatever it is for you, whether that's like your struggle to keep your mind focused or rather you don't feel good enough about your voice, whatever reason that we slip into this half-hearted obedience when we think about singing is, is this. I don't think we actually have a deep enough understanding of God's heart behind this command. And because of that, like, we don't know what we're actually missing out on when we don't sing, when we don't give it everything we have. Like, it makes sense to us why we should read our Bible, at least to our minds, right? Like, yeah, to to know more about God, to hear about what he said to us. Or it makes sense why we should pray, to talk to God, to build a relationship with him. But singing, like, what does that actually have to do with our walk with God, with our spiritual health? But Saul Company, like we just talked about, if singing is this command in Scripture that's repeated over and over and over and over, here's what we can't do, okay? We can't just settle for ignoring it or going through the motions when we obey it. And so the question that we, we need to answer tonight is this. Why we sing, yes, but a little, a little deeper, like what does God know about singing that we're actually missing out on? What does God know about singing that, that we're missing out on? What's his heart behind this command? What's his plan behind us gathering every week to sing to him together? What are we missing out on if we don't take this command seriously? And so here's the good news, okay? Just like we need to be reminded uh, why our singing is so important to God, God's people in the Old Testament, this nation of Israel, they actually needed to be reminded often too. And so in this psalm we're looking at tonight, we're going to find the author of this psalm, the the psalmist, not just telling Israel to sing, but actually explaining why they need to sing. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Psalm 95. That's where we're going to be, pretty close to the middle of your Bible, Psalm 95. We're going to work through this passage together. And guys, what we're going to see as we kind of explore these verses together, just to set this up, is that singing has a lot more to do with who God is than who we are. It's actually less about us. It's less about you and me, and it's more about seeing God more clearly. And what this psalmist, this author, this psalm is looking at and seeing is like, our vision of God is actually a little blurry sometimes. We don't see him as he actually is. And so what he's going to do is he's going to give us this kind of new lens to put on to see God clearly. And when we see him clearly, guys, it's going to change everything about how we sing. So look with me, starting in verse 1. This is what this psalm says. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And before we go on, we're going to stop there for a second. We're going to look at this first chunk, because already you see it. The psalmist's command in this passage is very clear and simple, right? He says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. But thankfully for us, he doesn't just stop there. 
he actually gives us reasons. So look with me at the first word in verses 3 and 7. You can put them on the screen. What's, what does it say? Let me ask one more time. What does it say? Four. Four. Right, exactly. And so, thank you. That, that was a lot better the second time. We're getting there, guys. So another way to say four is like because. Whenever you see a four in Scripture, here's what you need to think about. It's going to clue you in to the reason the Bible's giving for what it just commanded. So we're commanded to sing with joy in verse 1, but why? Why should we obey this command and sing with joy? And the psalmist, he answers that in verses 3 and 7. He says, for this reason. And he wants us actually, guys, to see two aspects of God's character that should lead us to sing. In the first aspect of God's character, it's made super clear for us in verses 3 through 5. Look again with me at those verses. I'm going to read 3 through 5 one more time. For, or because, the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And so what the psalmist is doing, guys, he's using like, all this poetic language in his arsenal that he has to help us see God is unspeakably great. And this is the first thing about singing the psalmist wants us to see. We sing to express our joy in God's greatness. We sing to express our joy when we look at God's greatness, when we see who he actually is, and it bowls us over in awe and worship. And guys, we just need to look for just a second. Like, look at how God is actually described in these verses. Don't glance over it. Slow down enough to actually reflect on it and let it lead us to the type of joy and awe and wonder, guys, that can only come from seeing God as he actually is. Like, look at how God's described here. First, he says he's a great king above all gods. Like, we're struck all the time by, by the power and the authority of certain kings and rulers and conquerors throughout history that have come and done crazy things. And even now, people like rulers and presidents and kings, they still command a lot of respect. But here's what they all have in common, okay? They were just people. Like, they never held control for that long, and it all fades away for them anyway. But God... God's actually the, the, the king, not just of one little territory. He's the king of every inch of the universe. His power has never been threatened. He's in complete control, and he works all things for his glory and our good. Like, that's a big and great God, right? And so the psalmist goes on. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. I'm about to drop just a little bit of science on you, okay? I googled this so you can trust that it's true. But do you know, it would take 4,000 miles of digging to reach the earth's core. And all of us, all of this world, with all our technology, all our progress, we've only been able to dig seven miles down before we have to stop. But like God looks and he laughs because he holds the whole earth just in the palm of his hand right here. That's how big and how great our God is. And then the psalmist continues one more time. He says, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Guys, more than 80% of the ocean has never been seen or even mapped by humans. But God, he's explored 100% of the ocean because in a single breath he called it into being. That's a big and great God. And I could go on and on, but you get it, right? Like, our God is not a small, weak, 
outdated, boring, irrelevant, unworthy God who doesn't deserve your time. He's not just an old man in a white, with a white beard who just kind of gives good advice that you can leave or you can take. He's the all-powerful king of the universe who brought 200 billion galaxies into existence in a single breath. And here's what's happening. He's calling you tonight to see him in all his greatness and express your joy in him. And guys, I think the author of this psalm, he is so wise to start with the greatness and glory of God as he calls us to worship. Because guys, any true understanding of why we sing, it needs to start with the greatness of God. Listen to how uh, Pastor John Piper puts it. This quote just floored me when I read it, and so I'm going to read it to you. This is what he says. Worship primarily flows from what we have been able to see of the wonder. It's the knowledge of God that inspires God, exalting awe and worship until God becomes dominant in our thinking and in our feeling, until he becomes the blazing sun at the center of the solar system of our daily lives, until he becomes the Mount Everest among the foothills of our little concerns with this world, until he rests upon our souls and our churches with 10,000 times more weight than politics or church growth. Until then, all our talk of his glory or worship or singing will just be more human engineering of religion, of which the world needs no more. So Saul Company, when you have a knowledge of God as he truly is, when he stands in your heart taller than Mount Everest, when he burns within you hotter than the white heat of the sun, guys, you won't be able to help but shout and sing and worship him as a response to his greatness. This might still feel a little abstract to you, though. So, like, how does being in the presence of someone great it change how we sing or react or worship? Uh, here's what it looks like to be in the presence of greatness and not be able to contain yourself, okay? Take a look at this picture I found. You guys know who that is, right? Caitlin Clark. Look at what literally everyone's doing back there. They're like, you are amazing. If that isn't expressing joy in the presence of someone great, I don't know what it is. Like, we all know what it's like to see someone amazing and for the natural reaction of your body to be jumping, shouting, singing, clapping. And when Caitlin Clark makes a buzzer beater three-point shot to win the game, not just once but multiple times, like, what other reaction can you have, right? But imagine this with me, okay? <clears throat> imagine you go to an Iowa game, and Caitlin Clark, she's having the best game of her life. She's draining shot after shot. But as she is, like, you start to notice something weird awkward, even a little bit uncomfortable, the crowd is like completely silent the whole time. They're just like sitting there with their arms crossed. They're like slightly engaged. They're nodding, but they aren't making a sound. And then at the last second, Caitlin makes a three-pointer shot to win the game, and literally no one gets up. Like, if, if you were there and you were an Iowa fan, wouldn't you want to grab the people around you and be like, you're not seeing clearly what just happened. What is going on with you? How can you not react to what just happened? But Salt Company, if we're honest, isn't that what we do with God when we're in his presence sometimes? Like, if we're Christians, if we've seen the greatness of God, if we've seen him do great thing upon great thing, if we understand even a glimpse of how glorious he is, and our response isn't to sing, what's wrong with us, right? We aren't seeing clearly. 
The strange thing isn't that we would sing loud or shout or express our joy to God. The strange thing is like the thought that we wouldn't. So, Saul Company, can I suggest something to you? And I need to remind myself of this over and over. If you, if you come and you struggle to sing or find it uncomfortable or obey half-heartedly, like maybe the problem isn't that God's too small or that he's unworthy of your praise. Maybe it's actually our eyes are too small to take in all his beauty and his glory. And maybe tonight, like right now, you need to come before him and just beg him. I need to do this all the time. God, just give me a bigger vision of you. Because I've made really small and meaningless things big and important at the same time that I've made you small. So change my heart. Help me sing tonight because I can't help but experience joy in your greatness. But Saul Company, as much as we could just sit and reflect on the greatness of God, we could call it a night well spent. I would spend hours and hours talking to you about how great our God is. It actually gets even better. Because God's glory, it actually becomes even more clear to us as we continue on. Because what the psalmist, what he's about to show us is that God isn't just great. That's one amazing aspect of God's character. But here's another crazy truth about our God that makes his greatness and power even sweeter. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Okay, let me take you to to grammar class for just a second, because this is important. Look at the possessive pronouns that are used in these verses. Okay, verse 7 doesn't say he's a God, and he's kind of too big to worry about small, insignificant people like us. That's what it could have said. No, it says he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. The psalmist is saying, hey, God isn't just the king over the entire world. He's also our shepherd, our God, and even though we're like lost and little sheep, he loves us. He protects us. He personally cares for you. And Saul Company, that's really, in a nutshell, the incredible wonder of the God of the Bible right here. No God of any other religion is like this, because he's powerful and big and mighty and high above us at the exact same time that he is loving and nearer to us than you could imagine. Both are true at the exact same time. And this is the second thing about singing, guys, that the psalmist wants us to see We sing to express our joy in God's nearness. We sing to express our joy in God's nearness. Guys, think for just a second about how crazy it is that there's a God who is king over the entire universe who at the same time commits himself to you and to me in love. This truth, it's exactly what moves David to sing in Psalm 8 when he says this. He says, When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, God's greatness, it moves us to praise. Absolutely. But at the exact same time, when you get that this great God who created everything also wants to have a relationship with us, And our reason to sing, it becomes even clearer. It would be a little like this, okay, to just keep on rolling with our Caitlin Clark analogy tonight. It's one thing to watch Caitlin Clark play and say she is a great 
basketball player. But it would be another deeper, more awesome thing to hear about who Caitlin Clark is as a person and also say she is a sacrificial, loving, good, kind person who cares for people she wouldn't have to pay any attention to, right? Like, I don't know anything about Caitlin Clark personally. Her and I don't hang out, okay? But imagine, I don't know why you laughed at that. We could hang out, you know, we'd be friends. But anyway, but uh, anyway, you guys are making me lose my place. I'm going on. But imagine, okay, if you like heard that when she's not playing basketball for Iowa, she spends her free time volunteering to teach basketball to young girls in impoverished communities. Like they have nothing to give, but she just wants to draw close to them because she has compassion on them. Like, wouldn't that lead you to actually talk her up even more for, for you to think she is even greater, to think of her more highly as a person? And guys, on a way deeper level than like a, a, a silly analogy could ever explain, that is what our God is like. He's this great king. He needs absolutely nothing. He's infinitely above us, but he looks down not just as a king, but as a caring shepherd, and he zeroes in with laser focus on you. Like he sees you and he says, you are worth saving. You have nothing to give me, but I want to come near to you tonight for no other reason than this. I just delight in you. That's the God we worship. That's a God worth singing to. And man, Saul Coveney, if God's people in the Old Testament, in this psalm, if they had a reason to express joy in God's greatness and his nearness I'm just telling you, we have even more reason now to express our joy on this side of the cross. Because now we know just how far a great God would actually come to draw near to us. We know Jesus, at great cost to himself, more than we could ever know, actually became a man. He walked with us. He experienced everything we ever could, exhaustion, hunger, pain, and he even experienced total separation from God. So you and I would never have to, and so we could actually draw near to him. That's how near to us our great God came, the mighty king. Guys, he became a good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. The cross, it proves to us, we can look back and say, this proves you are great and near at the exact same time in a more beautiful way than we ever could have hoped for. So, Saul Company, when we really get who God is, when we actually have our vision cleared to actually see him, when we see his unimaginable power and his undeserving closeness to us, how do we actually express our joy? The answer is simple. You know it's coming. We sing because there's no better way to express joy than singing. I'm quoting John Piper again, guys, because I think he just understands so well this connection between God's greatness and our singing. This is what he says. The greatness of God's glory invites a response that moves his people beyond mere words. Here's how our own pastor, Jake Each, puts that in his own words. He says, music is God's gift to us because God's greatness is too good to just talk about. God's greatness, guys, it's too good to just talk about. And singing is how we were made to express joy that's too deep for words. Like, it's why people create love songs. It's why certain songs move us to tears. It's why we cling to certain songs in really hard times. Because, guys, we know singing is actually this deeper expression of what we feel most deeply, and it expresses something in a way words can't. So when we finally see, man, the glory of God clearly, guys, our natural response 
It should be a joy that's too deep for words. It should be a joy that leads to music just welling up inside of us, bursting out in our voices as we sing together. And here's the crazy thing about this, okay? When we get this, when we sing to our, express our joy in God, here's what's crazy, Saul Company. Here's how good God is. That not only does he get the glory he deserves, but we at the exact same time, we actually experience deeper joy than we ever could imagine. At the exact same time we express our joy in God, we actually experience more joy in God. And we need to get that. that I'm going to say that one more time. At the exact same time we express joy in God, we experience joy in God because that's how he wired us. You might have heard of C.S. Lewis. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, a great author, but he wrote a lot of great nonfiction books too. And he, he actually gets at this in one of them when he says this. Okay, listen close because this is just awesome. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but actually completes the enjoyment. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. Or to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with, listen to this, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. In commanding us to glorify him, God is commanding us and he's inviting us to enjoy him. And maybe you've actually started realizing over the last few years that you aren't experiencing the joy that deep down you know you were made for. Maybe you've been trying to find it in a million other things, like that relationship, once I get that job, once I break into that circle of friends that I always feel like I'm on the outside of. But like at this point, maybe you're realizing that that, that brief happiness that can give you, it just kind of keeps leaking out of you till you're right back where you started again. And then you just start with something else. And I just want you to consider this tonight, okay? Maybe the problem isn't your deep desire for joy. Maybe it's that you've been seeking it in something other than the God who made you to enjoy him. And maybe if you actually surrendered your heart to God and actually sung to him tonight, you'd experience the joy that you were made for. The joy that comes not just from focusing on yourself, but focusing on the God who's more beautiful and satisfying than you could ever imagine. When we sing to give God glory, guys, at the exact same time, we experience more joy than we ever could have asked for. And so, through verse 7, like this psalm, it's made one thing clear to us. We sing to express our joy in God, and when we obey this command, we actually experience this deep joy we're made for. But guys, there's one more truth the psalmist wants us to understand, and it's just as important. It's actually so important that he actually doesn't end this psalm in a way you'd probably expect him to. He doesn't end with, with another call to sing to God. He doesn't end with a hallelujah or really an upbeat note at all. He actually ends with a warning, and it's important for us to understand why. So look with me at these last few verses as we dig into this together. This is what it says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. 
and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so the question we need to be asking after reading these last few verses is this. Why does the author end this psalm like this, right? And and here's what I think the answer is. He ends it with a warning because he knows just how much like wandering, lost sheep that God's people really are. Because he's looking at Israel's past and he's recognizing like, hey, it's incredibly easy to go from loving God and, and experiencing joy in him to forgetting God. So Meribah and Massa, these two places he mentioned, they were places in the wilderness where Israel actually grew bitter against God because they thought he wasn't providing enough for them. And they claimed to love God, but their hearts, they grew cold and bitter against him and they went astray. And so by referencing these two locations, the author of this psalm, he's saying this to Israel. He's saying, do you remember when God brought our people out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea? Do you remember how they worshipped him? They promised they'd always follow him, only to start complaining and grumbling when they didn't understand what he was doing. Do you remember when they doubted God's character and lost their joy in him, even though he just rescued them? This can still happen to you. That's what he's saying. Your heart is just like theirs. It is just as quick to wander from God. It's quick to forget where true joy is found. And this applies to you and me too, not just to Israel, to Salt Company in 2024, because it's scary, but here's the truth, okay? You can be in Salt Company for years. You can see God do incredible things. You could even do great things for God, and your heart can still drift away from him if you start delighting in other things. It's a little bit like texting and and driving, right? Not not that I've ever done this, and this isn't a frequent thing my wife asks me not to do, but imagine with me this hypothetical scenario, okay? And you know when, like, you just need to switch that song on Spotify really quick when you're driving or shoot that quick text? Never happened to me. But you, you pull out your phone when you're driving, And you know how once your eyes are off the road, you're like, this time it'll be different. I'm going to be a good driver. But your car slowly starts to drift. And and then you hit that rumble strip on the shoulder of the road. So you like jerk the wheel back. And then you just kind of repeat the cycle over and over and over. Not a good thing. Don't do that. That's a freebie, okay? And I'm preaching that to myself as well. But guys, imagine what it would be like to actually drive without rumble strips. If you didn't have something to guard you, like at the edge of the road, you'd be way more likely to fall into a ditch or drift into that other lane. You'd wreck your car. You'd possibly wreck your whole life with it. And honestly, that's a bit like our relationship with God sometimes. Our eyes, they fall off of him because they've been grabbed by lesser things. We somehow think are more important, more worthy of our attention, and then we slowly drift. And here's the scary thing that we just need to consider, because this is a warning, and so I need to give it to you. If there's no rumble strip in your life, nothing guarding you, nothing pushing you back on the path to experiencing and delighting in God, you could ruin your relationship with God, just like the Israelites this psalm is referencing. And so what's the solution? What's this rumble strip that guards us and keeps us on the path? Guys, it's the same answer I've given you the entire night at Saul Company. It shouldn't surprise you. We sing. Like singing is the way God chose to help his people keep experiencing joy in him again and again and guard them from drifting. It's how we find joy when we're tempted to wander and tempted to drift. Okay, the last thing the psalmist wants us to know is this. 
Singing, it's actually how we protect our joy in God. Singing is how we protect our joy in God. Because when we sing truths about God, about his greatness and his goodness and his nearness, we actually start to not just know, but to feel what we know to be true. And Paul, who wrote a ton of letters in the New Testament, he got this, which is why he wrote this instruction to the church in Colossae, okay? He says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is saying, hey, sing, because it's one of the ways God's word takes root in you and protects your joy in God. Salt coming, if you want to just not just express your joy in God, but protect it, we need to sing. Because this psalmist is looking at Israel and he's warning them and us that we can either be people who sing to God or we can be people that slowly start grumbling against God. Those are our options. And so our psalm tonight, it's teaching us, let singing be like the rumble strips that keep you from drifting away from your joy in God. And what that means for us, Salt Company, is that singing could actually be like one of the most important things you could do every week for your walk with God. And so, Salt, to sum up the psalmist's message for us, to put it all together in one sentence and to answer our question tonight, here's why we sing, okay? Singing is how we express our joy in God and how we protect our joy in God. Singing, it's how we express our joy in God and it's how we protect our joy in God. That's why singing is commanded over and over again in the Bible. It's why it's so close to God's heart and it's what God knows about singing that we should never want to miss out on once we get that. And guys, that kind of leads us now right into how practically we can live this out as a salt company. Like before we end, okay, I just want to function as your guide just for a minute. And I want to give you three simple ways, okay, that you can pursue this command to sing more effectively. Here's just three things I found helpful to remember and do as I sing and worship that I want to pass on to you, okay? The first one is this. Number one, respond to God with your voice and your body. Respond to God with your voice and your body. Like the first and simplest like, is obvious to us. The first application is sing loudly, right? But we actually, we need help to sing out sometimes. We need to actually coach ourselves to do this with deeper passion and commitment. And guys, the way we coach ourselves is through the actions, the physical gestures of our body. Like, look with me again one more time at verse 6. He gives them this instruction in this psalm. He says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That's just one example. But guys, all over the the psalms, you're going to see commands to to shout, to clap, to kneel, to raise your hands, and to to, uh, pursue God in worship that way. And that's not a coincidence. It's because God knows he made you with a body for a purpose. Our bodies, they affect our feelings and emotions and heart just as much as our feelings affect our bodies. So like I'd encourage you tonight as we sing, this might be a little scary for you, a little different, but there's purpose behind it. It's how you actually express and experience more what you're singing about. And so just take one small step tonight. One small way to get out of your comfort zone to not think about the people around you, just to get between you and God and just lift a hand for one verse of a song. Kneel 
when, for one chorus. Clap when a lyric speaks to you. Whatever it is, just take one small step to respond to God with your voice and with your body. Not for the people around you, but for the God who actually calls you to worship him with your voice and your actions. Second action step, guys, for you is this. Remember the why. Remember the why. When you're struggling to feel a desire to sing to God, because that will happen sometimes, it happens to me, you need to remind yourself of the reasons God's worthy of worship. That's what this psalm does over and over by showing us who God is. Sometimes you won't feel like you can or want to sing. And I'm here to tell you, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. But when that happens, what we need to do is not just settle, but preach to ourselves and remember why. Why is God worthy of my worship? Why should I sing to him? What has he done in my life time and time again where I shouldn't be able to help but shout out to him and praise him? Those are the type of questions that should spur us on to sing. And lastly, Saul Company, I just want to encourage you to wait patiently. Because it's okay if you don't experience immediate joy or a feeling when you sing. And the solution is just to be patient and keep going. Like, we read through our Bibles, and we pray, and we know we should do that even when we struggle, right? Even when you have a morning where something's not quite making sense to you, even when you pray and your mind wanders, but what do we do? We come back time and time again, and we know that if we push through that season of of hardship with our relationship with God, we experience joy and delight in him on the other side. And why do we treat singing differently? Treat singing the same way. Fight through the duty of singing, guys, until you find delight and joy in it. God's calling you to show up and to obey him and trust him to work. That is all you have to do. He will do the rest. So Saul Company, like when all is said and done, as I've just been reflecting on this, I've, I've become more and more challenged and convicted that there is almost nothing better for your walk with God than just cultivating a heart that enjoys him, that loves him, that sees him as big and you as small and just wants to worship him. And as I was doing some personal reading this week, I came across this quote that stopped me in my tracks, and it says this, Satan knows you don't have to renounce Jesus to cease to be useful in God's kingdom. You just have to grow bored with him. You just have to grow bored with him. And one of the greatest tragedies I can think of for us as a salt company is to be a salt company that people say, yeah, they believe in God. I just think they're kind of bored with him. I want us guys to be a salt company that overflows with joy in God. I want us to be a salt company that experiences joy in God every time we gather. And I want to be a salt company that protects our joy in God together. So we don't start drifting to find our joy in things that can never satisfy. I need this. You need this. That's the type of salt company I want us to be. And that's why we need to sing. So I'm going to pray, and then, guys, let's express our joy in God together as we worship. Can you pray with me? God, you are such a great and powerful and awesome and incredible God at the exact same time that you are near and close and loving and more close to us than we can imagine. And Lord, when we think about your word for us tonight, we, we confess to you that the problem with our feelings and our emotions, it's not with who you are, Lord. It's that we are slow to see you and to, to see your glory for what it is and worship you. But God, I pray that for all of us, for me included, not just now, but for the rest of our lives, Lord, you would give us a bigger vision of you. 
you would, Lord, give us just a taste of the joy that we'll have in you forever tonight as we sing, as we experience the gift of coming into your presence and just worshiping you, just sitting at your feet and enjoying you. And God, may you make us people who sing because we can have no other reaction when we see a big and awesome and loving and near God. We love you. Be with us today. And may we, Lord, raise, Lord, our voices in worship because we aren't worried anymore about what anyone will think. We're just captivated with you. We love you and ask this in your name. Amen.